WRG Democracy Forum with your host, Ann Luther, is up next. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Democracy Forum. This is the second program in our series this year to broadcast at this time on the third Friday of each month. We're featuring topics in Maine's participatory democracy, encouraging citizens to take an active role in government and politics. This program is a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. Our conversation today is Super Tuesday Comes to Maine, March 3rd. We'll talk about Maine's first presidential primary in two decades. How is the presidential primary going to work? How will delegates to national conventions be apportioned and selected? What role will municipal caucuses continue to play? What will be the differences among between the parties? We'll be taking your questions by email during the second half of the show. Send your question or comment to news at weru.org and we'll put it on the air. Uh, put DF or Democracy Forum in the subject line so we'll know it's about us. Um, this is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. I'll be your host today for the Democracy Forum. Let me introduce our guests. Joining us on the phone is Kenneth Palmer. Kenneth is the Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Maine. Thanks for joining us, Kenneth. Good to be with you, Ann. Joining us in the studio is first Lisa Roberts. Lisa is the executive director of the Maine Democratic Party. She really knows how this is going to work. Right? <laughs> Thank you for having me. And also in, with us in the studio is Richard Rosen. Richard is a former Republican state legislator and a former commissioner of the Maine Department of Administrative and Financial Services. Welcome, Richard. Thank you. Happy to be here. So Maine will be holding its first presidential primary in 20 years on Tuesday, March 3rd. We used caucuses for a long time, then we switched to primaries, then we switched back to caucuses, and now we're back to primaries. Um, this year, uh, maybe we've landed finally in a good place. Kenneth, let me put it to you first. What's the history of the presidential selection in Maine? Should we be glad we won't be caucusing like Iowa and Nevada this year? That's true. <laughs> well, primaries uh, in general go back to about the turn of the 20th century. Uh, back in the uh, 19th century, uh, uh, the candidates uh, for virtually all offices were selected by uh, conventions. And uh, uh, when the progressive movement came along uh, around 1900, uh, people began to say, why, why don't we get greater participation by the actual voters rather than uh, only having conventions meet, which tended to encourage bossism in the parties. So the primaries emerged in the first decade of the 20th century, and they particularly took hold in one-party states because the elections, the, the November elections in those states, were not very competitive. And, and certainly Maine was one of those examples because we were a predominantly Republican state until really about the 1950s. So primaries were essential uh, in the governance of our state uh, and the key battles uh, over the governorship would really be fought out in the Republican primary. I think in, in terms of, of uh, national elections uh, and, the, and the selection of presidential candidates, uh, primaries uh, for that purpose came along somewhat later. I think they're really a post-World War II phenomenon. And, and they, uh, because until then, uh, state conventions, like, of course, we still have in Maine, were the vehicle for the selection of delegates to the national convention. But now 
uh, and including this year, uh, primaries are going to be very important in structuring the kinds of delegations that will go to the Democratic and, and Republican conventions. Uh, we also, of course, have continued with caucuses uh, at the municipal level, even as primaries have come into it. And they both perform a very a, a distinct and important function. Primaries get a lot of voters out, stimulating interest in the party, and caucuses are essential for kind of managing the local structure of the parties, electing uh, the town uh, committees and so on, and keeping the organizational features of the party strong. So they're both very important. So March 3rd, what? who's going to vote? What's going to be on the ballot? Richard, have you got some general information for us about the March 3rd election, who can vote in the primary? You had... Um, like you have to be enrolled in a party to vote in a primary and so forth? Correct. Uh, so uh, we have a citizen initiative on March 3rd, and we have uh, the Democratic uh, presidential primary and the Republican presidential primary. Um, the um, uh, Green Party, I think, was eligible if they so chose, uh, but chose not to um, have a, uh, a primary on that day. So... Uh, from the uh, from the Republican perspective, the uh, uh, ballot itself is is uh, not particularly exciting. There's only one name, Mr. Trump, on the ballot. There's no option for a write-in. The other uh, Republican candidates nationally that are also running in that race will not be appearing on the Republican ballot in Maine because they uh, fail to gain enough signatures to appear on the ballot, and because I think the party. Uh, leadership also worked very hard to um, uh, do everything that they they could do to make sure that there was only a single name on the on the ballot. So, uh, registered Republicans will be eligible to vote on that day. If um, uh, if you are unenrolled, then you are eligible to enroll uh, right up to the primary, including the day of, uh, and vote in the primary as well. If you uh, are, had been enrolled in a, par- a different party and you wanted to switch and vote in the other party's primary. That was uh, last week. The date has <laughs> passed that would allow that change. Right. So unenrolled can still enroll, but if you're already enrolled, you're stuck with what you are today and you go to the polls with that. And then you don't have to be enrolled to, to vote on the ballot question. Everybody can vote on that, right? That's right. And, and to add a little uh, more detail, if you are uh, if you are registered in the Libertarian, the uh, Socialist, and the Alliance parties, which still have some people registered uh, under those parties in Maine, they will; those individuals will be considered as unenrolled. So they can enroll as Democrats or Republicans on the day? That's correct. Oh, that's good to know. Wow. Good to know. The only people that could not uh, enroll or, or, or vote would be people who are in one party and wish to vote in the other party right? in this particular primary. They would need to have done that a couple of weeks ago. By the 14th, by last yeah. week, right? Yeah. I will uh, interject here. There Please is do. one caveat that uh, we did not mention yet. If you are 17 uh, and you will be 18 by Election Day, you can also show up um, on March 3rd uh, on primary day and register uh, with your preferred party uh, and partake in that process as well. That's right. 17-year-olds can vote in the primary if they will be 18 by Election Day. Correct. Excellent. Um, so 
I mean, do we feel like this is better? Like, I think there was a thought when the primary law passed that it would engender more participation. Are we still feeling like that was a good idea? I mean, the caucuses, Iowa has not gone that great, and Nevada has gotten everybody a little nervous. So is primaries where we should be, you think? I mean, I think that's directed at me. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I'm certainly breathing a sigh of relief that we have moved from a caucus system uh, to a presidential primary um, in, for many reasons, but namely because voters will have access you know, all day on March 3rd to show up before work, after work, on their lunch hour to participate. They can also um, participate by absentee ballot. Um, and that means that as long as they receive um, the ballot by 8 p.m. at the town clerk's office, you can request it now and turn it in. Um, and ultimately, you know, we have to give credit to uh, the governor's office and our, our legislators coming out of 2016, recognizing that there were some flaws um, <laughs> last cycle. Um, and moving to a primary system is going to allow for uh, a seamless seamless election day because the election will be administered by the secretary of state's office. And uh, they know how to do that very well. Right. One of, one of the differences between the caucus method and the primary method, of course, is that the caucus method is not really a, a private vote. People are all in a room, and they people know how each other are, are voting. And for people that prefer to have their vote private or secret, uh, that's not a good arrangement. And also, caucuses take up a lot of time. It might be two, three, four hours involved uh, because there's other business than simply the expression of a preference in the presidential race. So there, there are differences like that that make the primary, I think, a very good idea. So we heard Richard say that the Republican ballot will have only one candidate on it. Lisa, who's going to be on the Democratic ballot? <laughs> uh, we have uh, more than one name mm -hmm. this year. Um, so the participants who have qualified to be on the ballot in Maine on March 3rd are uh, Joe Biden, Michael Bloomberg, Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Tulsi Gabbard, Amy Klobuchar, Deval Patrick, Bernie Sanders, Tom Steyer, Elizabeth Warren, Marianne Williamson, and Andrew Yang. All right. A good diversity of candidates for Democrats <laughs> to choose from. So, um, and I understand the Democratic Party does not have a winner-take-all system. So, like, how many delegates to national convention does Maine get? And how will the primary help the party figure out <laughs> who gets how many delegates? Yeah, so um, Maine's delegation to the National Convention will be comprised of 24 individuals. And those will be proportionally um, allocated to the pre uh, presidential candidates based on the primary results. There is a 15% threshold that candidates must meet in order to receive at least one delegate. So I'm going to do some very kind of watered-down math here just to give an example. Um, but let's say candidate A receives 50% of the statewide vote on um, March 3rd. Uh, they will proportionally then get 50% of our 24 pledged delegates, which would be 12. Um, and so those folks will represent Maine at the National Convention, which will be in July um, the 13th through the 16th in Milwaukee, uh, and help us elect our, our nominee uh, to go head-to-head -head with uh, Donald Trump in the fall. So the, any of those candidates that you named that gets 14% or less, they're out of it. They don't get any delegates. Provided that at least one candidate uh, exceeds the 15% threshold. See. Okay. And if it, w if it did work out, like... 
14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 15, that 115 would get them all. They right? would. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. I mean, I think most outside observers think a proportional delegation, a proportional representation is a little bit fair and keeps everybody um, invested in the outcome. I would agree with that, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so we have the primary. That determines how many delegates each candidate gets. Then how do you figure out who goes to convention? That is a great question. Uh, And so the best way to uh, answer that is to start at the national convention. Uh, So we've already discussed that the primary is going to determine how our 24 national delegates are apportioned. Um, But we still need to determine who's going to fill those national delegate slots. And we do that at our state convention, which will be May 29th and 30th in Bangor this year. And we will vote to fill those slots at the convention by the state delegates. We elect our state delegates at the municipal caucuses, which will take place on March 8th all around this state. Um, And if folks are interested in finding out more about uh, where their caucus will be, when, and how to get involved, they can just go to our website, which is maindems.org slash caucus. And we've got more information uh, than they could possibly want to uh, digest in a single sitting, and they can just check it out right there. So the people who are elected or selected at the municipal caucus to go to state convention they may or may not be representing the winner of the presidential primary, right? So they will go um, to, they will be elected at the caucus uh, based upon their presidential preference and then go to the state convention, still based upon presidential preference to elect people for their candidate, um, again, according to presidential preference. And that's important because the candidates want their um, representatives at the national convention to actually uh, support their Be campaign. Be their best people. Exactly. So the Republicans are having a state convention, too, which may have a little bit different purpose, but when is that convention? Republican state convention is May 1st and 2nd. That will be held in Augusta. And the um, the delegate process for the presidential primary is is similar to what was described in the Democratic Party. Numbers are slightly different. Um, In the Republican um, uh, case, if a candidate receives 50% or more of the vote on the presidential primary, then it's a winner-take-all. If the candidate receives less than 50%, then the delegates will be apportioned. If none of the candidates uh, receive 20%, then the apportion threshold will drop down to 5%. So it is a it is a blend of 50% they get it all and below 50% the delegation the delegates are apportioned. Similar process in terms of the state convention, um, local caucuses will elect the delegates that will go to Augusta on May 1st and 2nd. There uh, should be about 5500 attending the the state convention and the convention will determine not the uh, not who uh, the n- delegates to the national convention support, uh, but it will determine uh, who the individual delegates will be. Who gets to go? Who gets to go? Yep. Um, the only the only slots that the that the national party um, assigns to each state is the state party chair the National Committee man and the National Committee woman. Those three slots in every state are among the delegation that goes to the National Convention. The rest are all elected and up for grabs at the state convention. 
Do the Democrats have similar honorary delegate positions? Yes, yep. we do. We have eight um, former uh, superdelegates mm-hmm. is what people uh, know them as, uh, and those are comprised of uh, Governor Mills, uh, Representatives uh, Shelley Pingree and Jared Golden, uh, former Senate Majority Leader George Mitchell, uh, our Chairwoman Kathleen Mara and Vice Chairman Eric Gunderson, and then the last two um, of the eight will be our DNC representatives, mm-hmm. uh, and we will be voting to fill those positions at our state convention. Oh, okay, great. All right, so... Um, when I, we we talked about the caucuses for the Democratic, the municipal caucuses being March 8th, you said, right? Mm-hmm. The Republican ones have already been going on, have they not, Richard? Re- Republican caucuses have been going on since January 2nd, and they must all conclude by March 11th. And so you have different uh, regions of the state. Uh, managing the caucuses a little differently. Some counties a- come together on one day and will hold the caucus, all communities joining together in one lo- common location. Um, there are others that will do that on a regional basis, maybe two or three neighboring communities together, and there are other communities that are holding theirs individually. So they cross that span and are underway as we speak. You're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERU this afternoon. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our topic today is Super Tuesday Comes to Maine, March 3rd. Our guests are Kenneth Palmer, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Maine, Lisa Roberts, Executive Director of the Maine Democratic Party, and Richard Rosen, former Republican State Senator and former Commissioner of the Maine State Department of Administrative and Financial Services. So... um, I want to make sure that everybody understands the part. The presidential primary is like the big draw, but there is also that ballot question on there. So just um, make sure people understand that the ballot question. And I, I should, I should have um, left this here where I could read it out loud. Does anybody I have it here? Have, if you want to, yeah, do that, Richard. All right. So the ballot, then the ballot question is a citizen um, initiative that is brought to the ballot, uh, and it's a people's veto. And it will read on the question, do on the ballot, do you want to reject the new law that removes religious and philosophical exemptions to requiring immunizations against certain communicable diseases for students to attend school and colleges and for employees of nursery schools and health care facilities? And that's the question that where you're seeing the signs um, uh, no on one, yes on one. This that's this is one. This is question one, and the only question. And the only question. And you don't have to be in a party to vote on that question. Correct. Right. And it's a people's veto, and so the wording of those is always confusing because it always has to start out. Do you want to reject this or that or the other thing? And so, on this question, a yes vote is to put the exemptions back, and a no vote is to leave the exemptions out, according to the new law. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. You had uh, uh, three categories of exemption, prior medical, religious, and philosophical. Uh, The uh, legislative action removed religious and philosophical and allowed medical to remain. So the veto, as you said, it becomes, oftentimes these become double and triple negatives as you read them, so it confuses people, is uh, uh, do you want to go back the way it was and remove the change, or do you want to support the change? Yep. So, Kenneth, when we had 
When we had presidential primaries before, were they always in March or were they in June before? Do you know? I'm not sure. And For some reason, I think they might have been in June, which obviously is too late. But now a bunch of the other states are moving forward. So I'm sure, how many, do you know how many states we have on March 3rd? I think it's uh, uh, maybe 14, 15. And then just a little while later, a bunch more? Mm-hmm. Yes. So by the end of March, it's going to be? At least 50% of the uh, statewide or the national delegates will have been uh, determined. Yes. Do we think that, um, I mean, I, we talked a little bit about um, your participation and getting more people involved. Does this work maybe not so great for the parties? I think people used to like the caucuses for party-building purposes. Do the parties feel like well, there would be the, a The uh, leadership of the parties, I think, may prefer the caucuses sometimes, since they're the ones that are in charge of the organization. Excuse me. But I think the um, primary certainly allows a widening of participation and more people can come in. And I think generally the parties, uh, while they may not be able to control or police the primaries very well, uh, do uh, encourage them because it widens their their membership. More people come to the uh, uh, parties for uh, in in terms of... uh, of uh, political activity. Mm-hmm. I think they both are, uh, work well in Maine that we have both because they really perform a somewhat different function. So if we're trying to encourage people to go to their municipal caucus, what's the pitch? <laughs> well, um, our caucuses are uh, going to culminate just on one day, uh, and they will all take place between 1 p.m. and 8 p.m. on March 8th. Uh, and again, uh, go to maindems.org slash caucus uh, to find out where your caucuses is ha- happening. And the pitch is... Um, Caucuses play a really important role beyond presidential primaries. Um, As Ken mentioned, it is a really critical party-building opportunity for us, and in an important year like 2020, it is all the more important. We are going to be not only electing our delegates and alternates to the state convention, which we've already discussed, we're also going to be electing local party leadership for our municipal committees and uh, county committees. And... Democrats coming together all on one day, that's a lot of energy and excitement. Uh, It's when we're going to start rising and organizing and um, preparing to win in November, making sure that we have um, teams of people in every corner of this state talking to their neighbors and their friends about the values and issues that are at stake in this election. It all starts at the caucus. So if people are wondering how to get involved and how to have a voice in this process and how to create change locally, they need to come out to the caucus and be a part of the process. You know, the, the caucuses can be very helpful in providing uh, organizational support for, for example, uh, candidates for the state legislature, uh, particularly in the smaller communities. Uh, they need that kind of organizational background uh, in order to campaign effectively. And so the caucuses really are the kind of the structure that gets the thing started. They elect the town uh, Republican or Democratic committee. And there's a group of people who are known, identified, supporting and working with the party and a candidate for the legislature needs to know those kinds of folks to get a campaign underway. 
Well, and the parties are really democratic organizations. You know, mm-hmm. no offense to the Republicans, it is a democratic organization. It's run by the members, and it has a whole infrastructure sure. to make it responsive to its members. Right. Well, that's true, and and uh, there are also threshold requirements for parties to continue to function as a party, and this is one of them. The statutes require that. Uh, the parties must go through this process every two years of rebuilding, uh, reestablishing, and the process is, as folks have said, a local committee, a county committee, delegates to a state convention, adoption of a uh, uh, of, of the bylaws, of a platform, uh, all the rest of it. So to remain viable uh, as a recognized party that can put forward candidates to appear on the ballot, this is a requirement. Mm-hmm. And what Lisa was saying about building up um, momentum for local candidates, is that a similar experience that we people would have at the Republican caucuses? Oh, certainly. I mean, this is where you have uh, uh, the men and women that are, uh, that are most active, that tend to, to follow the process closely and are interested in becoming involved. Um, the, that's a, never a, a, a static group. Uh, it always changes every every couple of years. Uh, people move in and move out, and it's a it's a mechanism to aggregate as best you can um, people into the the process of as you said a demo, a democratic party process, but also one that works to build the government in general. Yep. Um, oh, geez, I had a question. Now I forgot what it was. Um, so, oh, somebody come in with a comment while I think of my question. Just say something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm sure we're going to we'll be getting to the June primary right, as well right. in the discussion. But but I, I want it's important uh, to remind people uh, that there is a primary in June, um, and and all of the rest of the federal. Uh, offices, the state legislative, the entire legislature is up every two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of 186 seats of the legislature, uh, all the various county offices that are up in 2020 um, will have candidates on the ballot in June. And what is that date again? June, June 9th. Thank you. Yeah. And so people have uh, uh, to have to consider the presidential date of March 3rd. Uh, local caucuses if they choose to participate in that process and June. Um, and collectively, you're, then you are, uh, you've built the party structure and you have put forward, uh, at, you've responded to some questions like the people's veto question, but you also have built the November ballot. Yep. And um, I know there's been some swirling activity around ranked choice voting. Now, the March election, the March 3rd ballot, will not be a ranked choice ballot, right? That is correct. And then um, the June ballot, go ahead, will be, right? Correct. Go ahead. Yep. All of the um, contested primaries in June will be ranked choice. Uh, and then the prep, well, depending upon how the uh, people's veto for ranked choice voting uh, for the presidential turns out, uh, we will also have ranked choice voting in November as well. So explain to people how that happened. A new law passed in the last legislature to institute ranked choice voting in presidential primaries and in presidential general elections, and then what happened? So it was just for the general election, uh, and that passed. Um, and 
I'm sure it's no surprise to your, to your listeners that, you know, ranked choice voting is the law of the land here in Maine, um, and we're proud to lead the nation on that. Uh, and so we hope that this people's veto does uh, not gain any traction because we absolutely support ranked choice voting. Uh, and so in November, uh, if we have ranked choice voting, we will cast our ballots uh, for president just like we would any other race where ranked choice is uh an option. But if the people's veto effort succeeds in getting enough signatures, then that law would be suspended. Correct. And we would vote a straight ballot in November. At the same time, we would be voting whether to sustain the veto or exactly. not. Exactly. <laughs> Just so we're clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, ranked choice voting, not in March, definitely in June, and we'll definitely have it in November, but maybe not for president. Is it, if I'm getting that straight. For the right. federal races, right. yes. Right. Good. But not for, this, not for the state race. Is that correct? Because they, Just federal. Because right. they, the constitutional fix uh, required for the state races has yet to occur, has yet to been mm-hmm. enacted. That's yeah. correct. And so because that was One just more piece of confusion. I just <laughs> want to make right. sure people know. I'm going to do a little station break and then we'll go over <laughs> that again because that was confusing. Okay. Yeah. Um, at this point, I'd like to invite listeners to join our conversation here. Tune to the Democracy Forum on WERU. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our guests this afternoon are Kenneth Palmer, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Maine, Lisa Roberts, Executive Director of the Maine Democratic Party, and Richard Rosen, former Republican State Senator and former Commissioner of the Maine State Department of Administrative and Financial Services. Our topic today is Super Tuesday Comes to Maine, March 3rd. If you have a question or comment, you can email us at news at weru.org with DF, Democracy Forum, in the subject line. Don't wait till the last minute. Get your question in early. All right, so let's just recap that whole ranked choice voting thing because I think we confused everybody. (laughs) So no ranked choice voting in March. Definitely ranked choice voting for all the contested. If there are three or more candidates in June, they'll all have ranked choice voting. Mm -hmm. In November, the state offices will not have ranked choice voting, but the federal offices will. Correct. Except maybe the president. Correct. Okay. (laughs) That's clear, isn't it? Yeah, right, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still clear. Um, so, so, Kenneth, what, what would you like people to be thinking about? It, like, we're part of Super Tuesday. A certain big number of delegates are going to be chosen on Super Tuesday. Where does that fit into the whole presidential selection? What kind of a watershed day is that? And what role do you think Maine is going to be playing on Super Tuesday? Well, in in terms of the uh, um, number of votes, Maine is a fairly small state, and and uh, the uh, it may be a little bit uh, overwhelmed in the national news reporting. Of the, excuse me, <clears throat> of the results on on Super Tuesday, um, but I think that uh, if the uh, convention, and here we're talking about the Democratic convention is still sort of uh, up in the air. The race for the nomination for president is still up in the air. Then Maine can be quite important uh, in Milwaukee uh, in helping to settle uh, on a candidate. Um, so, yes, I'm glad we're in Super Tuesday. I mm-hmm. think that's important that we get we get involved in that. But uh, on the national news reporting, we probably will not figure terribly large at that point. I think the more important role Maine will play will be at the convention. 
so you said Maine gets 24 delegates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how many delegates are there overall? Like what fraction? Oh, of... and the National Democratic Convention, I think it's just a little short of 2,000. Okay. That's how many you will need to win. Okay. But there will be more than that in total. All right. Mm-hmm. So... We we just have a little tiny slice of the pie. We do. But if it's competitive, our delegates could really matter. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, we talked when when we did this program in a live in person meeting with the league a couple of weeks ago. There was a lot of uh, questions about super delegates, and I know you talked about you know both parties have them. Maybe the Democrats. Well, not, uh, the Republicans don't really have super delegates. Okay. I mean, there you, you have a, a situation where. Um, the in this case, the presidential primary uh, process will require that the uh, results of that primary be reflected on the first ballot uh, at the um, national convention. And if they fail to have sufficient votes to nominate, then they are released after that on the second ballot. But there isn't a group of superdelegates that come in on the second ballot in the Republican uh, um, process. So those three honorary delegates that you mentioned are just in the soup with everybody else? They're in the soup with everyone else. So every state, the National Republican Party says the state chair, national committee man, national committee woman, uh, will be delegates, and the rest is chosen at the state convention. But they don't have a role as super delegates, um, so they're all in the soup together mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. the at the uh, in the Republican process. And that is a little di- different for the Democrats, right? It is. Um, our uh, eight unpledged delegates, the super delegates, uh, they are not allowed to vote on the first ballot. Uh, but if it does go to a second or a third vote. Uh, Everybody will be released from uh, their pledged preference, and the superdelegates will then enter uh, into the voting contest. So the delegates that go for candidate A have to stick with candidate A on the first vote, but they can go to any other candidate if it goes beyond the first round of voting. That is correct, and that's why um, for presidential campaigns, it's really important that their supporters are elected to fill their national delegate slots and that their supporters um, are also the state delegates who are voting to fill those national delegate slots so that should it go to a second ballot, their uh, delegates are actual authentic supporters who will continue to support them throughout the process. Uh Uh-huh. You know, the conventions are not what they used to be, are they, Kenneth? in terms of deciding who the nominee is going to be? No, it's very unusual nowadays for a convention to go beyond the first ballot. Uh, and that's really part of the, part of the reason is, of course, the, uh, uh, the use of presidential uh, uh, primaries. Uh, at one time, uh, conventions would go on and on and on. I think in 1924, the Democrats had almost 100 ballots uh, before they found their nominee. Wow. Uh, it, uh, uh, I think they went twice, uh, two or three times in 1952 when Stevenson was nominated. But since that time, almost all of the uh, all of the nominees have won it on the uh, on, on the first ballot. There's a kind of bargaining and trading that used to take place on the floor of the convention is certainly less true today. Huh. Although if it goes beyond the first ballot. Right, it could still be exciting. It could be yeah. absolutely. 
Yeah, and it'll be exciting at the beginning, too. As the, a lot of the trading takes place a day or two before the <laughs> convention is called to order. So um, thinking about um, uh, the superdelegates, I want to cycle back around that. That was super controversial in the 2016 yeah. election, wasn't it? Go ahead, Kenneth. Well, it was uh, uh, resented by some of the states uh, on the ground that the National Party was kind of imposing its own regulation on the state parties, and that that, that was resented. That uh, there, there there were certain uh, delegates were there because of the privilege of their office, rather than because they'd been elected as delegates. And um, I think that's been eased recently. But one of the interesting things about the conventions and the the uh, this process generally is that the is that of the national committees, the national party structures in Washington have exerted quite a bit more influence on the way this whole process works, the, the selection of delegates to, to uh, the, the national party conventions than they used to in earlier years. That process has come on particularly in the last oh, 20 or 30 years. One of the things that triggered it uh, in particular was the sort of chaos that occurred in the 1968 convention in Chicago, which was in the Vietnam War period, and uh, rioting broke out and so on. That was the uh, uh, convention that nominated Hubert Humphrey. And the Democratic Party underwent a revision, and the McGovern Commission uh, recommended all kinds of changes in terms of the standards that ought to be followed in electing delegates, and the idea was that uh, People from differing backgrounds should be selected, and there should be balancing uh, of, of the uh, delegations among gender and, and race and that sort of thing. It was a real imposition of the national parties into the processes in the states in selecting their delegates. And that pattern is somewhat continued in both parties. Huh. Is it still resented among Democratic rank and file? Uh, I would. I think I'd defer to to uh, Lisa on that. <laughs> I mean, sure. There's certainly people who um, are uh, anxious to see super delegates totally removed from the process. I think that is, you know, certainly the direction we're moving in coming out of 2016. Um, but you know, the best way to shape the party is to be active in it and to take a participatory um, role in the way that our party is shaped and the way that we act. So if people don't like it, they need to get up and get involved, and they can start by uh, joining us at the caucus I was to make that say, happen. Go to caucus, right? <laughs> yeah. Well said. <laughs> one, of, one of the things, of course, the national parties do is they provide a significant amount of money in helping candidates at the state and local level get elected. And uh, they, they're somewhat better fundraisers at the national level than some of the state parties are. So, so there's definitely a financial link there. So what have I not asked that we should be talking about in terms of the primary coming up, the parties? Um, there was a bill in the legislature last year to make the primaries semi-open, which would mean that people would not have to enroll to... Uh, participate in a primary. I think the Greens actually do allow people to participate if they're not enrolled. Um, what do you think about having the primaries be more open? Less, yeah. 
Well, per, uh, personally, I, I think it's a good idea. I think, the, I think uh, I mean, and the official position of the Republican Party is opposition uh, to that idea. But I think uh, looking at it in other states, uh, uh, I think it, uh, if the idea of a primary is to uh, encourage participation and transparency and generate excitement and, um, and you're seeing fewer and fewer people that are enrolling in parties and in Maine and the um, largest group and the group that's expanding are those that are registered voters as unenrolled or we refer to them as independents, although it's a confusing term, right. uh, then opening up makes makes sense. Um, the, the idea that there still is a tremendous amount of control uh, held by the, the parties over that um, candidate selection process, I think, is a myth uh, mm-hmm. that has probably evaporated. So uh, that would be my thought. I would totally agree. Semi-open primaries. I mean, I, I think that is the wave of the future um, that will have to um, come about through legislation, yep. of course. Yep. Um, and it has been something that we've discussed. And so we will see whether that comes about uh, in the next legislative uh, session. Uh, but it did not happen this year. Um, and for our party, um, it's very important for our delegates in order to be for them to be seated at the national convention, that they be Democrats. Yep. Um, and so that's a, a really critical requirement for us, which we weren't able to address in time um, for this cycle. But 2024, who knows? Um, and we may very well move towards an open primary. So, wait a minute. So, which is the thing you weren't able to address in time? So, we have a closed primary, so oh, only see, Democrats okay. can participate I this see. year. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, but you would be open to a semi-open primary at some point in the future, yeah. Personally, yes, but, uh, you know, as the executive director of the Maine Democratic Party, that's something uh, that Maine Democrats as have a whole to, have, have to, to decide. Have to decide, I understand. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so what what haven't I asked that you brought some stuff to talk about here? Have I not asked well, a I, question? Well, I, I would just throw out a comment. We just had a discussion about the national uh, parties in terms of presidential races, and this is just a comment that it appears to me that, that at, and somewhere along the process, there legitimately should be a role for the national parties to have some influence over the the candidate winnowing process. And what puzzles me is when I look at the... Uh, thresholds that were put together this well on the on the Democratic side for the debates, mm-hmm. the presidential debates, in terms of qualifications. I saw some, you know something similar on the Republican side in 2016, and where people that have are hold, do hold an office, oftentimes a governor, um, and has had a record of success, participation in the party, running as a presidential candidate, tends sometimes not able to qualify for the debate process when you can have somebody else that comes along with uh, no experience as as an elected official or particularly ever active in the party process, um, but eligible to make it on the stage, oftentimes never to the end, um, but at the exclusion of people that are more qualified. So it strikes me that at least in the debate setup, um, there, there is a role where the national party should be able to um, uh, put the, the thumb on the scale when it comes to making sure that um, office holders and folks that can maybe come from parts of the country that don't have a huge population or major resources are eligible to participate up on the stage in the presidential debates. Yep. What do you think about that, Lisa? 
Well, the Democratic Party determined its debate thresholds well in advance of uh, this cycle, more than a year in advance, and it was widely publicized what those requirements were. Uh, and I, I would disagree that the um, National Party should put its thumb on the scale. Uh, I think the entire purpose of the nominating process is to, in fact, be democratic and allow everyone the same opportunity to participate. And so that's why those thresholds were really critical, so that people knew um, what hurdles they had to jump to qualify. And we saw the of candidates that met those hurdles. Somebody told me that the qualifications for the debates was changed for Michael Bloomberg. Tell me that's not true. That is not true. Um, So it was always known that once states started voting in the primary process, uh, that the debate thresholds would in fact change because we had actual results uh, to base off of. So we removed the uh, monetary qualification threshold um, and instead put that uh, because we had the votes coming in from other states. So it wasn't changed because of Bloomberg. And again, this was determined more than a year in advance. So they did change, but it was part of a plan. Absolutely. That had been laid down for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERU-FM. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our guests this afternoon are Kenneth Palmer, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Maine, Lisa Roberts, Executive Director of the Maine Democratic Party, and Richard Rosen, former Republican state senator and former commissioner of the Maine State Department of Administrative and Financial Services. We're taking your questions now or comments. You can email us at news at weru.org, and we'll put your question or comment on the air. Um, We're into the last 10 minutes, so don't wait much longer. Um, So, again, what what have I not brought up that you wanted to talk about today? Because I have I see you've all of you got some notes and maybe prepared some things you'd like to talk about. And Kenneth, did you have something in mind that you wanted to get into the conversation that I not, haven't asked? No, not not at the moment. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention was one of the other uh, functions of the caucus I can mention was how critical it is for our um, state uh, elected officials. And one thing that they will be doing is collecting clean elections contributions at the caucuses uh, to qualify um, to unleash that public funding for their campaigns. And okay, so, so to technical term, clean, you're talking about the main clean election act. Correct. Okay, go correct. ahead. Um, and so... Um, Folks who turn out at the caucuses can make those clean elections contributions or they can go online and make them right now. But it's a really critical um, way to ensure free and fair elections is to allow them to be publicly funded. So I strongly encourage your listeners to go online, find their elected, um, find their preferred candidates and to donate uh, through the clean election system. Well, so that's another reason to go to the caucuses in both parties is really to get to meet those local candidates face to face and get to know them a little bit better. That's right, and that's why uh, many of the Republican caucuses try to uh, pull together or on a regional basis be, to make it uh, uh, easier and more efficient for legislative candidates, county candidates, those other local candidates that are running some of the even municipal races uh, t- to get before people from a number of communities. So, for instance, the Republicans in Penobscot County, southern Penobscot County, uh, held has already held a regional caucus. Uh, all of Penobscot County, with the exception of two or three towns, all on one day. Uh, the South aggregated in, in Old Town and the northern part of the county in uh, Lincoln. But um, 
But again, the purpose, we have a regional caucus coming up on the 29th in this area with Bucksport, Verona, Penobscot, um, uh, Dedham, Orland, all coming together at the Orland Community School so that folks can meet the candidates. That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds like a very good plan. Um, one of the difficulties of the caucus system is that very small communities may not be able to get enough people out and where there can be a grouping of, of, of communities in a region. Uh, like you say, Richard, I think this is a very, very good idea. Uh, the main Democratic Party caucuses also do that um, because there are many small towns, uh, and so there are regional clusters as well where many towns will come together in a single location to hold their caucuses on the 8th. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so in case people are tuning in late to the program, maybe didn't hear the first half hour, let's just recapitulate the important dates for people to remember. So um, go ahead, Richard, the, the important dates. So the important date. So if, uh, party uh, Republican Party caucuses are ongoing uh, from uh, the uh, second of, of of January all the way through March 11th. Uh, March 3rd is Maine's Maine will hold its first in many many years presidential primary, uh, which will be open to. Uh, registered Republicans and registered Democrats and people that are not enrolled, unenrolled registered voters can enroll in a party up to and on the day of March 3rd if they wish to participate in one of those uh, presidential primaries. We also have the question one people's veto on March 3rd and then on June 9th uh, we will hold the remainder of the state primaries. And just to add a little more detail, we're talking about on June 9th, the primary for U.S. Senate, uh, the U.S. representatives to Congress, all 35 state senators, all 151 state representatives, and the county races that may be coming up that year, including judge of probate, register of probate, county treasurer, register of deeds, the sheriff, the district attorney, and county commissioners. They're all on June 9th. Okay. I will add two more uh, deadlines to that. Thursday, February 27th is the deadline to request your absentee ballot. Thank you. Uh, if you wish to participate in the March 3rd primary, those ballots must be returned to the town clerk by 8 p.m. on Election Day. And then uh, the Democratic uh, Municipal Caucuses are on March 8th. And to register for that, you go to maindems.org slash check-in. All right. And so I'm just going to put a caveat on that absentee ballot thing. The 27th is the deadline for no excuse absentee balloting. If you have a valid excuse, an accident, out of, called out of town, unexpectedly, whatever, you can still get a, an absentee ballot with an excuse those last few days, just so people are not um, not completely shut out. We had a listener question come in for you, Lisa. You listed all the candid- the presidential candidates that are going to be on the ballot. Haven't some of those really already dropped out? Some have dropped out or suspended their campaign, um, and so people can still vote for them, although that may not be the smartest uh, way to, um, to include your voice in the process, but people can still vote for them. Um, but I think that's 
the easiest way to explain it. They've dropped out. They will not um, accrue delegates, most likely, uh, and so they may not have representation at the national convention. However, should um, there be people who are caucusing uh, to fill those delegate slots, they will have the ability to change their presidential preference should their candidate um, not qualify for national delegates, regardless of whether they've suspended their campaign or not. Uh huh. And I suppose those who have suspended their campaign are pretty unlikely to cross the 15 percent most threshold. likely yes yeah, yeah. okay um we are starting to run out of time here and i want to give you each a chance to make some parting comments and i'll um, turn that over to you first kenneth and we're not pressed for time so take your time um, but what would you like our listeners to hear before we sign off well i hope the listeners come to both the primary uh to vote and to their municipal caucuses. Uh, both are very important. They do perform slightly different functions. And I think Maine, uh, Maine does well in having both and nourishing both. The caucuses, of course, come out of the traditions of town meetings to some degree, uh, which is not true in other states. And uh, But we do have those in particular in northern New England, and I think they... Uh, they're very valuable in uh, keeping the political process healthy. Partisanship gets a big rap, Kenneth, but parties really are important. Absolutely, absolutely. They they're a vehicle between the citizens and their government, and and they they basically have worked very well, I think, uh, in in this country. All right, Richard. Parting thoughts. Got uh, plenty of time. Don't rush. Well, parting thoughts is to um, uh, reinforce reinforce what we just heard, which is participation. This is uh, these are opportunities for people to participate. Uh, they've they've noticed in their uh, news feed the dates and locations for these uh, caucuses. Um, they should feel as though they're welcome to to go and attend and and to participate. It's uh, uh, the turnout on March 3rd, you know, one of the discussions I know that uh, the legislature had when they were considering changing from the uh, caucuses back to a presidential primary was the realization that there will be a new and additional cost placed on the Secretary of State and his office and all the local municipalities that have to conduct this. The cost that essentially the caucus cost is borne by the parties. Uh, the primary cost is uh, is borne by the municipality and the state through the secretary. So it's there to be open and available. Uh, people should take advantage of it. And all they have to do is show up and vote. There you go. Lisa? Yeah, I want to just echo everything that's already been said. Um, the March uh, 3rd primary is really exciting. We're seeing tremendous amounts of energy uh, in every uh, corner of our state. And so we want everybody to go out and participate, cast their ballot, um, and to vote on the um, ballot measure as well. Um, but voting alone is not going to be enough this year. Uh, it's really important that people get engaged and involved and that they join us at their local caucus. Um, and whether they've never attended before or uh, they've done this many times. Um, we need people to participate and rise and organize with us uh, to make sure that um, we see, in our case, we're looking for democratic victories in the fall. Um, and then ultimately to keep an eye out for the national convention in July um, when we will nominate our uh, presidential ticket. It's 
going to be an exciting year for sure. Indeed, it will be. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so tomorrow is Nevada. Mm-hmm. What, what's going to happen? I wish I knew. <laughs> I hope they do it a little better than Iowa. It hasn't been um, <laughs> predicted to go that smoothly. It's kind of on a rocky road, isn't it? Oh, no all comments? eyes in the room are on me. No um, I, I, <laughs> I don't have any special behind-the-curtain information about that, but I am sure that you know the Nevada State Party has been working diligently for uh, four years on this. They've got thousands of volunteers ready to go, and hopefully they've learned from the lessons from Iowa and will execute a seamless caucus like they have for many cycles. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope, it, I hope it goes well because, uh, you know, we talk about Nevada, we talk about going into the South Carolina primary as with states with a more diverse population. Yep. So we're now moving into um, the, uh, a broader reaction to candidates and issues. So I think it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Yep. All right. It sounds like we are out of time now. I'm starting to get the high sign from our producer. Um, thank you to our guests this afternoon, Kenneth Palmer, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Maine, Lisa Roberts, Executive Director of the Maine Democratic Party, and Richard Rosen, former Republican State Senator and former Commissioner of the Maine State Department of Administrative and Financial Services. You've been listening to the Democracy Forum, a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. We stream live at WERU.org. Thank you to Amy Brown, our engineer at WERU, and thank you to our listeners. Our website is lwvme.org for more information about this topic or to learn about other shows in this series. You can subscribe to our podcast at lwvme.org or email us downeast at lwvme.org. We'll see you back here March 20th with a new show about the Equal Rights Amendment. Stay tuned now for what's coming up next on WERU, Counterspin and Between the Lines. Welcome to 2020 Talks, where we track the 2020 election process.